Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Danny Strange. And this morning, as we close this series talking about reaping the harvest, our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can turn there, pull out your outlines there. The three Sundays that I've had the opportunity to speak on this topic have all been in the Corinthian letters. And so if you've listened to number two and number four in this series, you've heard a bit of the background that comes into this letter where Paul, the Apostle Paul, is having to defend himself and his gospel and his ministry to a congregation that's been attacked by false teachers and yet Paul just keeps sticking with them and sticking with them. This morning, let me read 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11, to the end of the chapter. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind... It is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray this morning as we open God's word together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to sit under your word and find life there. Pray that you would equip us this morning to be those ambassadors, those ministers of reconciliation. That you would gift us with many conversations like we saw Elizabeth got to have on the video this morning. Use us to reach our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our families, and the world for the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. As you watch that video this morning... Chances are there was a moment or two that gave you a little twinge of fear. And everyone's different. Maybe for you it was when she first said, I went to my neighbor's house and brought them some lemonade. And you thought, I have to walk across the street? I would never do that. Maybe it was when she gave the woman a hug. And you're the kind of person who's like, I don't want to give someone a hug that's crying. Maybe it's when she said, I knew I had to share the gospel with that person. And that's the moment that terrifies you. Maybe it's the fact that she had to stay in a relationship with her neighbor for such a long time and you're thinking about your neighbors and hoping God's not calling you to do that. And as you look at your outline this morning, that first question on the top is, what is your biggest fear when it comes to evangelism? 
You can hide it from your neighbor and write it down really small so only you can see it. So the truth is when we partner with God's work in evangelism, there are forces out to stop us. Forces from within and forces from without. I have a friend that I've been spending a lot of years building a relationship with for the purpose of our relationship, but also with a hope that he would come to accept Christ. And over the years, he's come to a knowledge of Jesus, and I think he gets it, and he's making traction. But back in the day, back right after college, he was still in this place where he didn't really understand the gospel. And I had a lot of opportunities to plant those seeds of Scripture to give spiritual advice in the areas he was walking through. And, and yet it seemed like every time I would plant a seed, it would just bounce right off of him, and, and he wouldn't get it. He finally moved away, and I didn't see him very often. And then a friend of mine and I, another pastor from our church, went on a road trip and happened to be driving through his town. And so we called him and said, hey, we'd love to have dinner with you and your wife. And they accepted. We went out to the sushi restaurant, and when we got there, we sat down at the table, and it was me and, and this pastor from our church and my buddy and his wife. And so I'm sitting across from his wife, and the pastor from our church is sitting across from my friend. And we start talking, but as we start talking, they turn up the music in the restaurant a little bit, so it's really hard to have a four-way conversation in the room. So what happened is I started talking to his wife because she was the only person who could hear me, and my buddy, the pastor, started talking to my friend who didn't know Jesus. And I'm listening with one ear to this girl and with one ear to the conversation that they're having, praying that he'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with my friend. And as they start talking, my friend across the table asks that question to the pastor, how did you get into ministry anyway? So I pray quickly, God, use this, use this, use this. So my pastor friend says, well, here's what happened. I was in high school, and I was far from Christ. And he starts sharing his testimony. And I'm looking over kind of with one eye that way and one eye this way. And I could see my buddy across the table kind of listening intently to this testimony story. And as he's sharing his testimony, I'm thinking, God, soften this guy's heart to understand the gospel. And it got close to the time near the end of the testimony where he was going to pause and wait for a response. And the pastor pauses, and my friend says, well, could God do that for me? Or something like that. And I'm thinking, this is happening. This is happening. <laughs> and so I'm getting really excited. And my buddy, the pastor, opens his mouth to give the answer. And at that moment, the music in the restaurant, like, went up, like, to 11 like so loud that we all kind of covered our ears and looked around and, and tried to talk a little bit. And then finally someone yelled, let's go talk about this somewhere else. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to go back to his house. We're going to be able to have this conversation all together. This is going to be great. And so we get up out of our chairs. We walk out of the restaurant. We walk through the front doors. And he says, hey, why don't you guys come to our house? This has been a good conversation. And I said, we would love to. We take one step towards our car. They take one step towards their car. And on the first step, my friend just crumples to the ground. I'm like, what, what's going on? We help him up. He's like, that's weird. I'm fine. I'm fine. And he takes another step, and boom, hits the ground again. And, and his wife looks at him. She's like, are you all right? He's like, I don't know. I can't walk. And so she's like, guys, we're going to have to cut this night short. I'm going to take my husband to the hospital. She takes him to the hospital, hospital. And what had happened is just by stepping, kind of strangely, I guess, he snapped some tendon that goes all the way down your leg, and it, like, sucked back up into his back here. And so he had to go into surgery where they like pulled his tendons together and sewed him back together. And 
And as we got in the car, our conversation turns to the fact that there are a lot of forces <laughs> at play when it comes to evangelism. Now, it's hard to know what, what those forces are. Maybe it was a coincidence, all those things. Probably not. And though we had a lot of opportunities over the next decade or so to have great conversations and help this guy understand the gospel, on that night what we realized was that evangelism is a difficult thing. It's difficult because there are fears in our own hearts, like you wrote on that paper. It's, it's difficult because there are forces from the outside trying to stop us. There's spiritual warfare. We live in a, a climate in our culture where proselytizing is not looked upon well. We, we go to schools where you're not allowed to talk about those things. We live in workplaces that you're not allowed to talk about those things. We have family gatherings where that's a taboo subject. And there are a lot of forces coming against us when it comes to evangelism. And yet we look at the Apostle Paul who had a lot of forces going against him. These false teachers, these accusations, these hardships, these persecutions, these people who are trying to shut down his ministry at all costs. And what we see is he has tenacity to go after it time and time and time and time again. And God blesses his efforts and uses him in mighty ways. We look at this text and we wonder, why didn't Paul give up? Why does he work so hard, not just to bring the gospel to people, but to persuade these folks who are against him to stick with it? Why doesn't he just say, you know what, if you don't want to hear the gospel, fine, I'm going somewhere else. If you don't want to follow what I used to teach you, fine, I'll go somewhere else. If you don't believe that I am who I said I was, fine, there are a lot of people in this world who need Jesus, and I'm not going to waste my time with you. Paul tells us in verse 11, what keeps him from giving up? If you're filling out the outline today, we see in number one, when it comes to sharing our faith, the fear of Jesus keeps us from giving up. Paul says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. Paul's talking about a concept that he brought up in the last paragraph called the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, as believers, this is not the judgment seat where God desired to... God decides whether you're in or out. This is the place where believers come before God and give an account of how they stewarded the life he gave them on this planet. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. Paul says we'll all have to stand there before him one day and give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether it's good or bad. And Paul has this picture of his, in his mind of standing before the God of the universe one day, Jesus Christ, and possibly hearing that question why did you give up on the church at Corinth? What did you do when those people tried to take you down? Did you run or did you stick with it? Paul says, since I, I know what it is to fear the Lord, I work to persuade these men. And yet if you know anyone who's scared of God, they don't look a lot like the Apostle Paul, do they? Generally, Christian folks who are scared of God are those people who kind of walk the line very carefully and, and they don't do any bad things. And they do good things because they're scared God will zap them if they don't. There's not a lot of freedom in people who are scared of God. Paul doesn't act like that. He has this fear of the Lord knowing that God is the sovereign over the universe to whom he will have to give an account. But Paul is a driving, passionate, God-loving man. He doesn't hide in his house hoping that God doesn't call him to do anything scary. 
That's because there's another factor at play. It's the second bullet point. The love of Jesus keeps us moving forward. Paul says, we try to persuade men because we know what it is to fear the Lord. So I hope you guys understand that I'm the real deal. If I'm going crazy in this world, it's because of God. But if I slow down a bit and explain the gospel to you in my right mind, that's for your sake. I really want you to get it. God knows that I'm the real deal, though. And so I'm living this way for you. And the reason that I run hard after the goal, he says in verse 14, is because Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. He says we're convinced That one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died so that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Nowhere is the fear and the love of God shown so beautifully than in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The cross shows us that we live in this world under the reign of a God who is terribly angry at sin. That sin deserves the wrath of God and God will pour out his wrath on those who are disobedient to him. And yet the love of God shows us that that God, that wrathful, vengeful God, instead of smiting us, put on human flesh and walked among us, fulfilled the law, and yet got up on a cross to receive the wrath of God on our behalf, so that the penalty of sin was paid in his body, and yet he rose from the dead to give life to those of us who formerly walked in disobedience. In the cross and the resurrection, we see the wrath of God and the love of God meet in an amazing, passionate way. Paul says that mix that we see, that gospel of Jesus Christ, has changed our lives forever. The gospel of Jesus has changed our lives forever. There's no turning back. I'm not hiding under a rock because I'm scared of God. I'm not skipping and smelling the daisies because God loves me. I'm running hard after the mission that God has set forth because the gospel has changed me forever and ever and ever. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. This is verse 16. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul gets a little bit autobiographical with this. If you don't know a lot about the Apostle Paul, he's a man who grew up in a Jewish family and became a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. He zealously followed the laws of the Old Testament, so zealously that when Jesus came along, Paul saw him as a heretic. Paul saw him as an insurrectionist. Paul saw him as a threat to God's religion. And so Paul's desire, the Apostle Paul's desire before he met Jesus Christ, was to destroy Christianity and Christians from this world. He went around from town to town, going into synagogues and finding groups of believers in Jesus and tearing them away from God's assembly and bringing them to trial. Paul was there when the first Christian who was ever killed for his faith was killed. Acts chapter 6 says that Paul was there giving approval to his his death, Stephen. Then in Acts chapter 8, Jesus met Paul and arrested him 
when in verse 1, Luke records that Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Paul was walking down the street one day, and a light comes from heaven, and it stops him, and it blinds him. And the voice from heaven says, Saul, that's his given name, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul responds to the voice, who are you, Lord? And the voice from heaven, the God of the universe, calls out to Saul, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go to the place I want you to go, and I've got a mission for you there. And when Paul got to that place and believers came and prayed, prayed for him, something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see for the first time. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Paul experienced a new birth. The gospel changed him forever. And Paul says, based on verse 16, that because of the gospel, we look at the world through a spiritual lens. Just like Paul was blinded and received new sight, he says, we all look at the world differently. Because Jesus has transformed us, we don't see people through a worldly point of view, but through a spiritual lens. Imagine if you were walking through the mall, and all of a sudden you hear shouts, and then boom, an explosion, and it goes dark. And you start to regain consciousness, and you're laying on the floor, and there's rubble all over your face, and it's hazy, and there's alarms going off, and you can't see too well. And all of a sudden you see a fire break out in the distance. You get up, and you're unscathed, and yet you see bodies everywhere. And some people are starting to arise, and other people are just laying there. And what would you do? Would you leave? Would you help? Assuming you would help, you would run over to the person on the ground. You try to wake them up. Wake up, wake up. We've got to get out of here. We've got to get out of here. We've got to get out of here. Sometimes people would wake up, and when they would, you'd bring them in on your quest to go revive others. And you'd go after these people, and you'd minister first aid. You'd get them out of the building. You'd get them to the fire department, whoever's doing the triage. You would help the people on the ground, and you would devote the rest of your time until you had to get out of that building to saving as many as possible. Paul says, that, that's what I do now that God has saved me and shown me what this world truly looks like. That the people who are walking the streets around me are not just people, they have souls. They have eternal destinies. And some of them are dead men walking. And some have life. And so those of us who have found life because God has revived us from our sleep, Paul knew he had nothing to do with his salvation. We devote the rest of the time we have on this planet until it is destroyed, rescuing as many as possible. So from now on, we see no one from a worldly point of view. We look at the world through a spiritual lens. And in verse 18, we see that God uses us to reconcile people to him. Paul tells us in that verse... All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says, now that I have new life, I go around telling everyone about Jesus because God has called me to bring the gospel to lost people. 
But that's for us where our fear comes in. And the fear you wrote at the top of the page. It's one thing to understand how this world exists and what God has called you to do. And it's another thing to have the courage to do it. To conquer your fear and go across the street. Some of us in this room aren't really sure if evangelism is something we want to do. We think, you know what, my faith is between me and God, and I don't want to try to convince someone else to follow my God. Maybe that's where you're at. And God needs to do some work in your life to show you the value of bringing the gospel to lost people. Maybe you've been taking notes of this whole series, trying to figure out the best way to step into this evangelism space here, and yet you're absolutely terrified. You've got your notes and you walk around to work every day trying to read through your notes to see how you can step into a conversation and you haven't been able to figure it out yet. And maybe you've seen some opportunities and you've run away from them or changed the subject. Maybe you've convinced yourself that I'll do it later. Because it's one thing to know what we're supposed to do and it's another thing to have the courage to do it. If you find yourself in that place, I want to encourage you to circle a word from that sentence where you just filled in the blank, reconcile. Circle the word God. Because I think naturally we read that sentence, God uses us to reconcile people to him. Where I want you to read that sentence, God uses us to reconcile people to him. We see in this verse and in the text that follows that God is the one who does all the work. Here comes your mega blank. Get your pencil sharpened. You see that? We see in this verse that I just read that God is reconciling the world. The word God. God is reconciling the world. God is reconciling the world to himself God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. You see the theme here? God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ by our message. And then if you read verse 19 where it says, He has committed to us the message of reconciliation, and you read on. It says, we're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So cross off the word our and change it to his message. God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ by his message. He does all the work. When we could bring Elizabeth O'Brien up here and do the deep interview of, how did you do it? What's your strategy? What words did you use to change that person's life? How how did you know what to say and when to say it? Give us a textbook so that we might study it. And she would say, I had no idea what I was doing. Did you notice how often she's prayed in that video? And so I just prayed and said, God, is there a way I can help? Show me the way I can help. And finally she went to the house and said, is there a way I can help? She just showed up and she responded. And when someone cried, she hugged them. And when someone had stuff going on that she could not solve, she said, let's pray. And when someone had something going on that was so deep and terrible that she couldn't help, she offered help anyway. And she helped by bringing forth the words of the gospel, and God spoke through her, not because of her eloquence, but because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes. 
I've said time and time again, we are not gospel salesmen. Here's what we are in verse, in point three on your outline. We are rather ambassadors of God's kingdom. Paul says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Then we see Paul's simple gospel in verses 20 and 21. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We all know what a salesman is. An ambassador in those times and probably still today is is someone who's a classy guy or girl who has a job to represent someone much loftier than themselves and bring good news on behalf of that person. Paul says we are God's ambassadors. We just show up and share the good news And sometimes through the good news, they see him, and they find him there. Who exists around you that that needs to hear some good news? I'm struck in that video that God used the good news in response to people who were experiencing some terrible news. Who do you know who's hurting? Who do you know who's struggling? Who do you know who can't conquer sin? Who do you know who is gripped by fear or discouragement? Who do you know who's going through a breakup that you can go into their lives and say, I I hear that there's a lot of bad stuff going up in your life, and yet here's some good news. When I was in fifth grade, we all got awards, and I was voted most likely to become the U.S. Goodwill Ambassador. (laughs) And I cried. Because I didn't know what an ambassador was, but I knew I didn't want to work at the Goodwill. (laughs) And all my friends came up to me and they said, you're going to work at Goodwill, you're going to work at Goodwill, you're going to work at Goodwill. That's the best the teachers could come up with for you. And I'm like crying. (laughs) So my teacher sees my distress and pulls me aside and says, do you know what a Goodwill ambassador is? She said, what we're saying is that, this was a public school, so she didn't say God. She said, what what we're saying is that we can see you stepping into this world to bring good news on behalf of someone very powerful. And, And that's what he's made us. We're not gospel salesmen. We're goodwill ambassadors. God has called you to go into your workplace and into your home and into your family and into the streets of Castro Valley and and beyond and to bring a message of good news to people who are discouraged and distraught and think that there's no way out of what they're in. This morning, as we end our series and we close our time, let's take a moment and ask God to reveal to us who he might want us to bring his good news to. Let's pray together.
Father, there might be people immediately on our minds that we know we would love to see their lives changed forever and ever, and yet we don't know how to step into that space and help them. Embolden us today to realize that you are in control of all things. From the fact that you are in control of working out our salvation by sending your son to die and rise on our behalf, to the point where now as we are ambassadors of your kingdom, you do the work. You bring us the people. You show us them with spiritual eyes. You've saved us and given us new life. You've given us a message. You've given us the the one who died for them. We pray that you would use us to proclaim that good news and in so doing connect the dots between a lost people and a saving, loving, and yet terrifying God. We thank you that you are that kind of God. We pray that we would live not out of fear and not merely just skipping around with love, but in that beautiful tension of knowing your majesty and yet your desire to save so many people who live around us. We pray that you would use us in that. Grow us in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.